welcome to episode 2 of Out of Game. In today's episode, we're going to discuss listener feedback, give you our Gen Con 2014 recap, and review the amazing game, Alien Frontiers. This is your host, Ryan. Join me and Chris as we go Out of Game. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the listener feedback we got from our last episode. First of all, thanks to everyone who took the time to post feedback, all five of you. It was <laughs> Lots <fun>. of feedback. <laughs> no, we really we really do appreciate it. And just want to go over a couple of the, the things that people uh, said in the feedback. Uh, I think the most obvious one was there were a few different people who'd said things about the audio quality. Let us know how it sounds. We, we've tried to improve our our gear a little bit for this recording to see if it helps. So let us know. We, we are trying, you know, we're kind of doing this on the cheap right now. So it's not like we, we have some super high-end equipment. But, you know, we have the best stuff that we can get for uh, our budget right now, which is zero. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, listeners. Ryan here. You probably noticed by now that the audio sounds pretty much the same as last time. That is because the microphone that we tried to use for me failed. Luckily, we had a backup mic in the middle of the room to get my audio, but that's exactly how we had it set up for the first episode. So quality of the audio of this episode is going to be pretty much identical to last episode, and we apologize for that. Hopefully, episode three will sound a lot better. Okay, back to the show. Another, another feedback that we got was there was a couple people who said that they don't really want us to talk about how awesome our, our podcast is going to be. It's <laughs> a good point. Maybe we should just not talk about this. <laughs> so, so actually, I, I think we should just redact that statement. Uh, I'm fine with that. Yeah. So we have no guarantees that our podcast will be awesome. We, we, don't, we have no idea how this is going to turn out. Right. It, it might be horrible. Might be horrible. Might be great. Might not be. Might be average. We're not sure. We're, we're not sure. But not we'll do all. our best. Another one was the, my top, I got a little flack about my top 10 list. Yeah. And I, this particular item in the feedback list, I concur with 100%. <laughs> well, you know, at least I had actual board games in mind. That's true. But, you know, I, I'm not going to go back on any of my games because those are the top 10 games that give me the best. The, the way I rated my games is what gave me the best feeling. We should say what the feedback was. So, oh yeah. So the, the feedback was um, that I had I had games in my top 10 that I've never even completed. Yeah, that's that's not a misstatement. It's true. There it are games true. that were never even finished that made the top 10 list. But, you know, some games are so outstanding, you don't need to finish them. <laughs> like, for example, if you watched a, let's say you watched like half of Lord of the Rings. Wouldn't you just say that that's an awesome movie? Only regardless? because you know how it's going to end, though. If you, if you were to watch some new movie, uh, I don't know, whatever, and then you're halfway through it, you can't say that it's the best movie ever or that's in your top ten. So what if, what if Lost went off the air halfway through the series? Like, after season three, they lost funding and went off the air. Yeah, but for every Lost, you have a day after tomorrow, which is one of the worst endings of a movie in history. <laughs> or The Happening. You know, you see Mark Wahlberg running around at the end of the world, and then all of a sudden, oh, by the way, it's plants whispering to each other that caused it. It was one of the worst endings ever. I liked that movie. You did? Yeah. All right, we'll have to take that up offline. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah. 
Well, anyways, <clears throat> I'm not going to take him back because those those <clears throat> those ten games are are all amazing games. Even if I have not finished a couple of them, it would not change my rating of the game. So you're sticking with it. I'm sticking with it. Okay. You know, one but- of the, one one positive feedback I got that we got was uh, someone was someone said the most important thing for the podcast is that uh, that we are true to ourselves. Yeah. So I'm I'm following that. <laughs> I'm tr- I'm true to myself. Those are my top ten games. I'm not going to take them back until I make my list again. But you do understand the feedback, though. I mean, you you respect. I, I respect the feedback. That's I'm just explaining my. Yeah, it is a good point. I'm just explaining my. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, one minor one was when we're talking about games is, uh, and this is actually something that I agree with 100% because the same thing happens to me. When you're listening to a podcast and they talk about <clears throat> they talk about games, sometimes like halfway through their explanation, I'll forget what game they're talking about. So then everything they say after that is completely meaningless. That's a good point. So bookending, when you're talking about a game, bookending it with... What the game at the was. End, what the game was. Just yeah, to, even mentioning it again in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I completely agree with that. And I was trying to do that in our top tens, but I never actually told Chris that I was doing that so but I think I think pro- we probably did it about 80% of the time last time so we'll try to just do it whenever we're talking about a game right so anything anyway those were um, that was some of the feedback we got we also got you know some positive feedback where people just said they liked the show and, and everything so we appreciate that too yep and keep it coming too the feedback is helpful we listen to all of it um, and we'll mention it on future shows as the feedback comes in yeah, and if you want to ask us a question, I don't think I, I said this specifically <clears throat> last time, but if you want to ask us a question that we could potentially answer on the show, just send us an email. Our email is outofgamepodcast at gmail.com. All one word, outofgamepodcast at gmail.com. So send us an email and you know we'll either respond to your email or answer it on the show. Yeah. I think the other thing I wanted to mention was our our release schedule for our episodes. So we're going to try our best to do an episode per month. One thing I will say is that we will not be one of those podcasts that just kind of fades away. If we're ever going to stop uh, the podcast, we'll, we'll say it ahead of time. You know, we'll go out like Seinfeld. You'll know when it's going to end. <laughs> so, you know, don't delete, don't delete the fee. I know how tempting it is. If you don't see an episode coming in when you kind of expect one, if you're like me and your OCD, you want to keep your, your list clean, don't delete us unless you hear us say we are ending the show. Right, because when we take time like this, this has been a month and a half now, it's going to improve the quality of the podcast sometimes when we take longer because we'll have more material to gather. We have more to talk about. You know, we have we have a lot to talk about tonight too, and it's not necessarily a bad thing when we take more than a month. It, it, might, it might improve it. We don't know. <laughs> We, we have no idea we can't the quality that. of the show. That's right. A couple of other things I wanted to talk about at the beginning here. First of all, a big, big thank you to Ariana Halt for designing the out-of-game logo. I, I love the logo. What do you think about the logo? I love it. I'm proud of my, my little girl. She did a great job. She's going to school. Started college in the fall. Graphic designer. And so we got a nice deal on this artwork semi-professional and um, looks great though she did a great job yeah and i have to admit i was probably really annoying 
<laughs> we were going through the logo design. It's only a little annoying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the OCD thing kicked in, but that's she rolled with it. She was taking your feedback and incorporating it. It was all good. Yeah, she was extremely patient and professional. And I think, you know, when she when she starts doing that for a living, I think she'll be amazing at it. Yeah. Uh, also, a news item that came up. No good segue there. Sorry about that. Uh, so, Chris. Asmodee. Did you know that Asmodee purchased Asmodee. Days of Wonder? That's fascinating. Can you please explain? <laughs> so, Asmodee, the, uh, the conglomeration known as Asmodee, purchased the game company Days of Wonder. So, Days of Wonder designed uh, some of their most well-known games are Ticket to Ride, Small World, and Shadows Over Camelot, which we play a lot. And there's another, oh, Memoir 44. Those are their big popular games. Ticket to Ride is like one of the best-selling games of all time. Those were Days of Wonders games? Those are all Days of Wonder games. And I listened to an interview with the, I think it was the owner or president of Days of Wonder about their their business model. And they, they basically, from what he was saying, what I remember at least, was that they had modeled their company after Apple. So they essentially would just release one game a year. But it would be like a really high quality game. It would have a lot of hype and buzz. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of their model. So I don't know how many years they've been in business, but I think it said they've only they've released maybe twelve or thirteen games total since the company was uh, was formed. So anyway, Asmodee bought them out. Some like two of the main guys from Days of Wonder are eventually gonna transition out of the out of the company, which kind of is mm-hmm. it, that so most people have a very positive response to this news. Now I'm one of maybe one of the few people that I kind of have a problem with it. So what do you think about in the board game industry, big companies buying smaller companies? Well, if I'm the small company, I like it because what you want to do is get yourself some you know good games under your belt, get some releases, make some money, and make yourself attractive to be bought out like that. That's what they want, I'm sure. Uh, but as a consumer, it's a little bit different. I like the small companies. They're more, they've got a lot of creative energy. I don't know much about these guys, but you say they're like Apple. If they're like Apple, then they're going to be focused on you know, the creative side of things and making sure the quality is there if they're releasing one game a year. It's kind of an exciting thing as a consumer. So to see them being bought out means they could be you know, ab- absorbed into the conglomerate, and then they lose that... Uh, special, you know, edge that they had. Right. So, and I think that's what bothers me because Days of Wonder, they they would focus on kind of mid-weight strategy games for families. Like if you've ever played Ticket to Ride or if you've played, like Settlers of Catan is that style of game where you can actually play it with gamers and play it with your family or people mm-hmm. who aren't gamers. It's easy to teach them. And, and their games are always very high quality. And... With the main two guys leaving, that, that's, the, that's the whole thing that bothers me. If this was like when Disney bought Pixar, you know, Pixar still has their own creative control over their movies, I, I think. And their movies have still, the quality has been maintained. I, I feel like this is more like when McDonald's bought Chipotle. Like, I, I feel like Chipotle was this great kind of niche uh, fast food restaurant, and it was just bought out by McDonald's. Now, eventually... The, the original founders of Chipotle came back and purchased it back from McDonald's, which is a good thing for us, I think, as consumers, because Chipotle still has that niche of, like, healthier fast food. 
I feel like I feel the same way about Asmodee buying Days of Wonder. It's like they had this niche kind of in the market, and I'm worried that we're just going to lose that niche now, and we're not going to have that those type of games. At least knowing that we're going to have a quality game like that every year from this company. Well, if those people that left were part of the brain trust that came up with the, these games, then maybe they'll go off and start a new company or join another small one and. And then we'll get that same vibe from the company they go to. Yeah, There's and that's that I guess that's that's kind of in my hope too. But I guess I'm I've been one of the dissenting opinions and and granted I'm not like huge into business. I, I understand that it's good for for Days of Wonder that they got purchased. Mm-hmm. I mean obviously that's what you want to do with any business. I guess part of me just wants my my hobby that I'm involved with to not turn into like the corporate well, what are other examples in the gaming industry? I mean, forget about like McDonald's. I remember Snapple was bought by Coke, and they <laughs> they got worse after that. So there, but in the gaming industry, are there other examples of this? There are. So Mayfair Games, they're the company that created Settlers of Catan. So they purchased Lookout Games. Lookout Games is one of their most well-known games. Would be uh, Agricola. Mm-hmm. Uh, another example was some company in Canada purchased Z-Man Games. And Z-Man Games, they have some of the best games, in my opinion, they have some of the best games on the market. And honestly, I don't I don't think we've really seen the complete impact of that happening. It seems like Z-Man Games still kind of exists like they did before. And Lookout Games, I'm not really sure. So it's it's kind of hard... So tell. we don't know if those got better or worse. Right. The only thing with Z-Man games is sometimes they have so many games that I feel like sometimes they have trouble keeping their games in print, which I guess it's a good thing for them in some ways because for someone like me, if there's a game that I like and it's by them, I'm worried it's going to go out of print, so I buy it before other games. Whereas you know some of these other companies, they're maybe smaller, and so they have less games, but they keep them in print, like Stronghold games. Yeah. Yeah, I just got a, a tweet. It looks like chess is trying to buy checkers. <laughs> it's hot off the press. I wonder what's going to happen to checkers. The whole checkers franchise could be in turmoil now. What, is it speed chess or just chess? Well, chess, the company. That includes speed chess and regular chess. They're buying checkers. Is it the black and red version of checkers? The black and red version, but it looks like it's including Chinese checkers in that as well. Whoa. You can play that on a regular checkerboard. You don't need that special one. So you watch out for those Chinese. <laughs> they work their way into every deal somehow. <laughs> yeah, so it could be more controversy brewing. I know when Wizards of the Coast bought uh, Dungeons & Dragons from, I think it was TSR, nobody really understood what was going to happen to that industry. And I don't want to say they screwed it up, but I know a lot of people are unhappy. They're releasing all these new versions of the game constantly. I don't know if it's in an effort to make money or if they think they're really improving it. But I can't say that the creative edge was lost when that happened. I think it depends on who's behind it now. I mean, just because, who is it, uh, Asmodee? Asmodee bought these guys. Maybe there's good people there, and they've got, you know, um, creative talent and will continue to keep up the work that Days of Wonder has done. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. My, I guess my view, you have the dissenting view. My view is I, I don't really care either way. <laughs> so in, in Asmodee's defense, they release some really good games too. And and that's, I guess, the other side of this is people people who have a positive outlook on this say that Asmodee is already equally 
uh, as has equal quality games as Days of Wonder, so the the quality of the games wouldn't go down. Mm-hmm. But we'll just have to see. It's all speculation right now. So yeah. Oh, this just in. Hopscotch is buying jump rope. <laughs> <laughs> What's that going to do to the jump rope industry? Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll maybe we'll have that as a topic next episode. Yeah. Oh, you know. I don't know if you want to talk about this now, but um, you mentioned OCD before. Yeah. We were talking, Ryan and I were talking um, about ADHD versus OCD and the effects that that has on gaming. And I thought that would be an interesting topic. I don't know if we could spend a whole podcast on it, but definitely a section sometime in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that discussion. Yeah, that's going to be good. Because Chris and I are, are the two people that fall into these spectrums. Right. So we have to deal with this all the time yeah and there's it's a high maintenance issue i'm the, on the adhd side and i deal with the frustrations but also i do frustrate people and then ryan is ocd and we have we have a lot of good stories to tell with how that affects the games and sometimes in life in general too <laughs> so other quick news item one night ultimate werewolf is releasing a new expansion slash standalone game yeah, I, I haven't read about this yet. I heard, I saw the blurb and the announcement that you made, but I don't know the details. I'm excited to hear. So I don't think I can talk about any of the details yet, but I actually play tested this last year at BGG Con, and I was under uh, NDA. I wasn't allowed to, to discuss it, but it was fun. I, I think I'm allowed to say that. Are you sure you're allowed to say that? Yeah. All right. And it's... Um, the. They've actually announced that all of the new roles, there's going to be 10 new roles. Uh, all of the new roles will have knight abilities. So there's no just plain villagers. There's, there's no new roles that you don't do something at night. So it'll make it just more chaotic, basically. Is there an NDA role in the game where like, <laughs> you're not allowed to do anything? You're not allowed to say what you know ever? <laughs> That would be good. Yeah, it's not bad. That. Maybe it would be a stretch goal. So I think they said there's going to be a Kickstarter for it. At the end of September, so keep an eye out for that. But that'll probably be an wait. They, these, they, they need a Kickstarter. Aren't they basking in the success of this game? Isn't this game hot right now? It is hot, but I don't. I mean, Bezier Games is still a smallish company. Okay. So, I mean, a lot of almost even like the huge board game companies, a lot of them are still using Kickstarter because they kind of use it as a pre-order program. Hmm. That's. I don't know. That's just how it is. It's not always people that aren't going to be able to make the game without the funds. Well, I'm a big fan of One Night Ultimate Werewolf, so I'm really curious to talk to you offline about this and uh, <laughs> try the new the new uh, roles. Yep. And then uh, Uwe Rosenberg, designer of Caverna and Agricola, has a new game coming out. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Fields of Arl, maybe? Arle? Arle. <laughs> A-R-L-E. <laughs> Fields of Arle. Fields of Arle. So uh, I don't know when this is coming out, but he's probably, I would say he's my favorite game designer. Wow. So I'm pretty excited what about it. What else has he done? Uh, Agricola, Caverna are the two ones in Aura Labora. Okay. Two of those games are in my top ten. One of them I've not finished. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And something I don't have on the list here. Uh, so have you ever heard of Board Game Arena? Me? No. I have not heard of Board Game Arena. So Board Game Arena is an online site where you can play board games. And I I checked the site out quite a, some time ago, maybe a year ago. I was specifically 
checking the site to see if you could play asynchronous games on it where oh, where yeah. I take a turn and then you take your turn whenever you have time, you know, those type of games. And I don't think they had that a year ago. I could be wrong or maybe I just couldn't find it, but they have it now. And I've been playing the game through the ages on there, like multiple games of it, which is a game that I have had on my shelf that's been really hard to get out and play. And now I've played it like five times. So you're playing online. I'm playing online people. through this. And it's it's great for that game because through the ages, one problem with it is people's turns take a long time. But you pretty much, one person does their whole turn and there's almost no interaction with the other players during their turn unless these specific things happen. So it's a great it's great for games like that where in person these would be games that would drive you insane. <laughs> you specifically. Me, yeah. Yeah. But on for asynchronous, they're actually the best type of games because you do your whole turn and then it goes to the next player and they do their whole turn. So all that downtime isn't you just sitting there, it's you're just waiting until it's your turn again. What other games would fall into that category where they would fit that? mold that's a good question i think i've intentionally not played those games with you so you might not have played a lot of them because like like games like kayla remember how we played kayla's on the ipad one time yeah it was painful and we had to quit the game because yeah, you, you put one long. worker down and then a day later chris puts a worker down yeah and then two days later i put a worker down i think we were maybe in like the second turn a month later yeah it was, it was painful it was horrible so yeah, any games that tend to have analysis paralysis in real life, I think are that's kind of what you're looking for for an asynchronous game. Right. So if anyone out there uh, wants to play a game with me on Borgie Marina, you can find me as Silver Wolf. Really, Silver Wolf with an E I'm on surprised. the end. With an E. Yeah, because the other one taken. The regular spelling was taken. Oh man. And that is because of my love for the book Silver Wolf Black Falcon by Dennis L. McKiernan. Shout out to Dennis McKeown. Forgot about that. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, so I think that's all I had for news items. Anything you want to add? No, I don't think so. Uh, lots to talk about still. Um, I'm excited about our next topic. I heard that AC adapters are buying out batteries. I heard that too, but batteries have filed a protest. They're filing an injunction against the AC adapters. They've never gotten along. They had a sordid history. And they're seeking to block that. That's so, probably smart of the batteries. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how that resolves. All right, on to our Gen Con recap. Gen Con 2014. I don't know if it's a, pop, a popular thing to date these podcasts, but today is September. What is it? The third, September third, 2014. Gen Con was a little less than a month ago, so it's semi-fresh in our minds and. We thought it would be a good idea to recap our experience from Gen Con. So let me just explain what we did at Gen Con this year. I don't know if anyone had a chance to read my my montage to Gen Con on the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 1990. I read it. Where I, I basically told the history of my experiences at Gen Con. And almost every year we've, we've handled Gen Con differently, I would say, yeah. for the most part. So this was the year where I just brought two giant IKEA bags of games, and we scheduled zero events. And actually, we didn't plan this part, but we we almost didn't even spend time in the Gen Con proper. Yeah, we, we were mostly hanging out in our hotel in the hallway atrium areas. Yeah, and and, and you know, the ironic thing is when we were in our hotel, you know, just in the in the lobby areas where they have the chairs and couches and end tables set up. We had more help 
yeah. there That's true. than we did in the Gen Con hall where there's professionals there from the gaming companies meant to help you. We had just random people coming by. Oh, you're playing Coup? I can, I can explain that. And they would sit down and teach us the game. And that kind of thing happened quite a bit where people would just stop by and chat. Yeah, or people would just even just stop and look at the game we were playing and ask us about it. And it didn't feel like it was a weird thing. Yeah. We spent most of our time, I would say, either playing the games I brought or walking around the dealer hall. Is that pretty accurate? That's pretty accurate, yeah. That's kind of how we handled Gen Con this year. But we do have, uh, we want to share our experiences. And what we've decided to do was give you our top five and our bottom five things about Gen Con 2014. Yeah. And we're going to start with the bottom. Because I think people want to hear that first. Not because of good news, bad news. I think it's the most interesting of the two. Okay. So, Chris, what was your number five? So, number five is it's the least bad. For my, You know, honestly, I don't have these ranked five to one. Okay. I, well, but I do fine. have them listed. I could quickly tell you what the worst one was. I would say the worst experience. No, you so, this the is the least, least, worst so, this is the, the least five. painful of them. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with sleep. Usually sleep is ranked toward the number one worst experience where I just can't sleep. I have a hard time falling asleep. My mind is stimulated from playing werewolf till three in the morning and I can't sleep. And I know I want to get up around seven, seven thirty, get the next day going. And my mind is active. I'm not comfortable. It's too hot in the room. There's lights blinking somewhere. But this year sleep has moved down. I actually slept pretty well, not well enough to remove it from this list. (laughs) of my top five negatives, but I think sleep is coming more easy. And I have to thank you, my partner, Ryan, for taking one for the team, getting an air mattress, which by the way, air mattresses have been bought out by water beds. I heard what? too. Yeah. That just came across more on that later. Uh, but Ryan took an air mattress, put it on the floor, slept there, freed up a nice queen size bed for me. So I feel you know, I really appreciate that, and it helped sleep uh, move down the list. So that would be my number five. Yeah. So Chris has serious high maintenance sleep issues, and we won't go into all the details of those, but it's pretty bad. He he needs an entire bed to himself, and usually that bed needs to be segmented from everybody <laughs> in the room somehow. <laughs> uh, so it makes for some interesting situations, uh, but you know, it worked out and. To Chris's credit, when, when we found out we had to do the air mattress because we couldn't get a cot, which I'll talk about later, he, he, he made sure to buy the most comfortable, best air mattress that the lovely people at Walmart could offer That's us. That's right. Right. And I don't think Tim agreed with the purchase at the time because <laughs> it was spending a couple extra bucks, but it was worth it in the long run. It was a high quality mattress and it should last a long time. Yeah. And actually, I didn't mind Sleeping on the air mattress. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it wasn't Appreciate too bad. Appreciate that. Okay, so my number five, mine are ranked, was something that happens every now and then in my number 10 game of Werewolf, where you're the first person mauled in the night. Hmm. Not in the day. In the day, I don't get mauled. No. But in the night, sometimes I get in mauled. you can get mauled, yeah. And I guess what was funny about this was... There was like a little kid in our group. Before we started the game, I said, I, I leaned over to Chris, Dave, and Tim, and I said, just so you guys know, I'm killing that kid in the first day. <laughs> <laughs> because if you've ever played a game of Werewolf with little kids, 
it's they're really hard to read they don't contribute to the group discussion even if they're villagers there's it's just good to maul them or yeah to lynch them to lynch them yeah so i was going to well we open our eyes after the first night kids pointing at me he was across the circle i don't know if you heard me but he was pointing at me yeah i remember so then somebody else initiates a, a a vote against this guy Someone else who apparently agreed with me about voting out the kids because he made it very obvious that was the reason he was doing it. And we, we, and we did lynch him in the day. That night, I died. Found out after the game, his mom was the other werewolf. Ah, uh, that's right. So, Wasn't he a werewolf too? Yeah, they were both werewolves. The kid, the, the kid that tried to lynch you yeah. and that you tried to lynch back, he was a werewolf. He was a werewolf. Yeah. And, and he died the first day, which was great. But then his mom killed right. me. Yeah, that was um, that was the the guy, um, Marissa Tomei's husband. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the one who initiated that vote, and, right. and then we all started following his lead after that. Right. Yep. So I was eliminated from that game, and now getting eliminated from the game. I mean, it's not the fact that I was eliminated from the game. This caused a spiral of events for the rest of the evening, where I did not get to play werewolf with my friends for the rest of the night. And that's the problem with, with one problem with Werewolf is if you get out early, those games can take one to two hours. And unless you're willing to just sit there and watch it, which frankly gets boring, as soon as you find out who the werewolves are, you're kind of ready to move on. And I didn't want to sit there. So I joined another game. And so it, I don't like getting uh, Umal on the first night. So that was my number five bad experience. Yeah, you know, I didn't really know that full story. Yeah. I mean... I remember that you had left the game and then the patterns were just off where we couldn't sync back up again. Yep. So my number four worst experience of Gen Con would be forgetting to pass out our business cards. Yeah. So Ryan and I, as we mentioned, we got these new logos my daughter made and we had the Ryan printed out a bunch of business cards right before we left. But um, I guess we forgot to bring them to the, to down to the the event when we left the room i think there was maybe one time we remembered yeah yeah so that would be my number four i don't put too much detail behind that i think everybody understands got a new podcast got business cards you want to pass them out yeah failed we're not (laughs) we're not marketing geniuses here and i had a recorder in my backpack the entire gen con and did not use it it was just in my backpack i carried it around Never used it. And we had we had some great opportunities to just bust out the recorder and use it. And we did not do that. So that was bad on us. But I don't know. Maybe next year we'll, we'll be better about it. Yeah. All right. So that was my number four. So my number four, we set up the game Caverna. And this was another game that, I've, that was in my top ten. And I played it last November. But I needed a refresher on the rules. Little did I know that the rule book was at least 20 pages long. So I sat there reading the rules and it was extremely stressful for me because in our group, there's not a high tolerance for waiting around. And there isn't a high tolerance for someone teaching a game when they don't know it very well. And I was like, I was like sweating. You guys probably didn't realize how stressed out I was trying to get through those rules and explain it quickly. Because I, I and there was a couple of times where I almost gave up. I but I, was, I had no idea. We spent so much time setting it up though, because the game is really involved to set yeah. up. That just the fact that we did that was a deterrent for me quitting. Wow! It, it made me 
suffer through it. And I know it was painful for for everyone else too waiting there. Yeah, it was pretty painful. Yeah, I know I know it was. And so that was that was definitely one of the worst. Uh not number five, number four. It's not the top one, but it was pretty bad. Yeah, and I want to point out something interesting about the way we do these podcasts too is Ryan and I didn't even talk about that. That this topic hasn't even come up since that day when we were oh it's too bad that took so long and all that. I had no idea that you went through that. That's why it's fascinating to hear that now. It's good to hear if these fresh thoughts kind of spontaneous like this. No, you know, we, we were all very frustrated, but we know it wasn't your fault. You were trying to learn the rules. You didn't know the game. The game is very cumbersome. The game had a lot of intense rules to it. It's not an easy game to pick up again. We probably spent an hour an hour trying to go over those rules and figure it out, get the board set up. So it was painful for us, but also painful for you too, I guess. Yeah. And that's a good segue to my number three. <laughs> <laughs> um, my number three is a game called Caverna. Wow. <laughs> that's my number three worst experience. The game itself. The game, yeah. But I'm lumping in the, pr- the pre-experience to it only because I can't – accurately and honestly segregate the game experience from the teaching experience because that hour of setup blended right into the game and it did add to the amount of time we're sitting in the same spot and we were there for what did we say five hours Yeah, it was like four to five hours that's not an exaggeration four to five hours we're sitting at the same spot playing this game i didn't really like the game that much i appreciate the game i understand it Uh, there are some things i did like about the game but overall I would have to be really desperate to play that game again. So do you, how much of the not liking it, though, do you think it was the fact that it was a throwaway game? I factor that into it. I know that I've played other throwaway games before, and there are times I need to give games another chance. Like, we'll talk about Alien Encounter later, but or Alien Frontier, Alien Frontiers, right? Yeah. We'll talk about that later. The first time I played that game, I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it. I was kind of neutral. I played it again loved it. So I, I'm aware that there is the throwaway factor. With Caverna, the, I don't have confidence that I would enjoy the game, mm. even not being a throwaway, because it's too overwhelming. There's too many things going on. It's, it's not You can't focus your strategy as much in that game yeah. as you can with some of the other games, like um, the game that it was, it was inherited from, uh, Agricola, Agricola and Kalis, games like that where... You still have the strategy and the worker placement factor, and you're trying to complete tasks. But with Caverna, there's just too much going on with the the, the, the tunnels or the, the caverns and then also the fields. It's just juggling a little too much going on. There was one thing I loved about the game that I have to mention, though. Have to mention, I haven't seen this mechanic yet in a game. Maybe I just have I missed, missed it, but there's the rubies. Yeah. Uh, nobody else was talking about the rubies. Explain the rubies. I love the rubies. Here's the concept of the rubies. So you can spend one of your workers on, on a ruby, or there's other ways to get the rubies too. You could you could build a ruby mine, for example. But the point is you collect one or more rubies on your turn, and they're basically these little red plastic shards that you keep in your area. And what the rubies are, they're kind of like mulligan chips. If you're going on the next turn and you forget your, you know, oh, you're one resource short because you spent your turn doing X and Y, but you can't do Z because you you didn't. There's like one 
wheat that you're that you're short <laughs> you use the ruby to make up for that you can use the ruby for money you can use the ruby for a variety of things and i really like that concept of the rubies i think if other games had that it would uh, it would really help i think Kalis could use them although i think we've all had at least one turn in Kalis where you ended up not being able to do what you were expecting right. to do so Part of the burden is on you to know that, and I think that's part of the game. But at the same time, if you want to spend a turn getting a ruby so that you can have a mulligan later, it's worth it. That's one thing I liked about Caverna, but overall, too complicated. You know, not complicated to understand, but complicated to have an effective strategy, at least for me. So I think the, the, the thing you don't like about Caverna is what makes me love Caverna. So a game like Kalos, I feel like, there's maybe three valid strategies in that game. Dave may have found a new one. I don't know. Dave did the strategy where he didn't build a castle. I, I'm not sure if that's a valid strategy or not, because I think if someone did that again, we'd probably stop it from happening. But once you figure out those three strategies, it's it's a game that you, you kind of get better with practice, and then you just do the same thing almost every time. Would you agree about that with Kalis? I need to disagree with the Dave comment first. Before oh, okay. <laughs> so he placed two workers close to the provost in that one turn. And I don't remember if it's you or Tim. It might have been you. I was begging to help me uh, swing the provost back and block him to prevent him from doing that. This was after he had a huge lead. And money was tight. And I needed support in order to do it. No, that was Tim. Was it Tim? That, you, no, you were trying to get me to block Tim. Well, no, but Dave, Dave had a guy on one of the spots okay. that was a, it was him getting that spot really screwed me up. Okay. And um, to me, that was the turning point in that game. And I can't remember how it was me close I came. You, you I came really close to catching. I Dave. came close to catching him, and I would have if, yeah. if we if we had that. So it was definitely an effective, which we should, you know, we should spend a segment breaking down Kalos and we could talk about oh, yeah. what he did. It, it's worth talking about. It's a very interesting game. And honestly, Kalos is still one of my top games. So my point is that Caverna, I believe Caverna probably has way more valid strategies. So it's a game that rewards multiple plays, not because you memorize a certain strategy and do it every time. It's true. But that you can explore different strategies and still win. And if someone's doing the same strategy as you, you can choose a different one or try something else. Because there's so many options. I think that's what I like about Yeah, that's Caverna. true. That's a good point. So I feel like I don't think it's fair to make a final decision yet. And I don't think you are. Um, well, okay. So there are other things I didn't like about it. I didn't like how long the turns took. And you know that's a thing with me. If I'm waiting for too long, that's it becomes painful. And I know that's part partly my fault, but it affects my enjoyment of the game if somebody's taking too long making their decision. When people are placing their workers, while that's happening, you can begin to think about what you're going to do instead of waiting until that moment and then beginning it. So that, that, that was a little frustrating. And also the board itself, the, the setup, I don't know, there's something about all the little pieces going everywhere. There's thousands of these pieces, mm -hmm. and it, it began to give me anxiety. There's <laughs> so much of it. I mean, it, just the, the setting of it up and the, the even deconstructing the game. You know, Dave did his famous move where he excuses himself from the, right. from the group when it's time to put the game That's away. That's officially the Dave the move. The Dave move, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, so there, there are those things too. I think there's better options out there than this game. But I'll tell you what, for the rubies alone, I would probably give it a shot again. I just, I, that experience was bad. Okay, well, just so you're, just to warn you ahead of time, I'm bringing this to our next game night with the hopes of solidifying the rules in our head. Because if oh, we man. don't play it again soon, we're going to forget again. And then we're never going to get to play it. Oh, well, I'm sure Nathan and Ross and those guys well, that's to play. that's true. You don't need to play with in our group. But uh, I want to get this one to the table again and explore it in a non-learning game and see if it's any better. And I think the turn speed will improve because Battlestar Galactica, if you remember, we used to take four to five hours. And now we that's can trade in like two hours. That's a good point. So anyways, uh, okay. So my number three worst thing about Gen Con this year there's two things I'm lumping together one I already mentioned I could not get a cot at our hotel and here's the reason because there are way too many people at Gen Con it's it's too big for for Indianapolis they cannot support the amount of people that are coming there aren't enough hotels I mean it it was just ridiculous that I I couldn't even get a, a cot for our room we needed a cot because of Chris's sleeping maintenance issues. Oh okay, the cot was actually supposed to be for Chris. And he is fine usually sleeping on the cot because, you know, he can go off in his own corner and uh, put up his, his uh, light shield and make his, his giant uh, pillow buddy. And, you know, it, it would have been fine. So I had this really stressful, like, 15 minutes at the front desk begging them to, to get a cot. Because I thought maybe they were just saying they didn't have any. And, and so, and the other thing I'm lumping with this is just just the fact that there's just too many people. So you're not blaming the resort; you're blaming the the overcrowdedness. Yeah, of Gen I Con. actually think, and I might get some flack for this. I think Gen Con should cap the attendance. Ooh. I think they should cap the attendance because there are too many people. Most other conventions cap attendance. BGG Con caps attendance. Dice Tower Con caps attendance because they know how many people can fit in the area that they have. Gen Con just doesn't care. They just will just keep taking in people. You know, I might agree with you for a different reason. Walking the vendor hall yeah. is painful. It's, it's horrible. It's a bad experience. You didn't even get the worst day. I was there on Thursday when it first opened. The absolute worst day of any vendor hall I've ever had Yeah, in but my people life. showered that morning. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is true. But, Yeah. I agree. The vendor, and you know what's crazy? They actually expanded the vendor hall this year. It was bigger than last year by like 10 or 20. Physically, they physically had more Mm. space, but we physically had less space. Yeah, I I found it was very difficult moving around in general, not just the vendor hall, but in in any of the halls. I mean, remember when there was that parade? Even before the parade came, you know, just moving from place to place sometimes became very difficult. You know, the other problem is a lot of the, the attendees are socially unaware. You know, like, they'll just stop and look at their phone in the middle of a major walkway. Right. You know, and it, there's people coming and going, and what's on their phone is more important. They, they're oblivious. So I get that, too. So that's interesting. So your number three was uh, overcrowded. Overcrowding, yeah. And I actually think this is part of the reason that we stayed kind of in our hotel to play games. I didn't. That's true. I had a mental aversion to walking back down that that hallway to get into the room where you can get the open gaming tables. Yeah. It was just nice. And, and you know, I feel like we're knocking Gen Con in general. I, I love being at Gen Con. And 
being in our hotel was still like being at Gen Con because there's people from Gen Con everywhere. They're still walking by. It's not like if we just took a random weekend and went to a hotel and, and played games. It's completely different. You're still in that environment and you still feel like you're at Gen Con. Like, man, there's just so many people there. Yeah. Okay. So I'll go on to my number two. I've got it. I don't know if this is related or not, but I have waiting and time management as my number two. And this this is, honestly, I probably could have ranked this not as bad as this if I'm looking at my list. But last year we had a major problem with having a big group, and then you have subsections within the group. They're going to do this game or that game, and then you're meeting up again. And I remember one night we went out for dinner, and then the rest of the group was ready for dinner after we had already eaten. So we went out again. We basically had two dinners. That's right. And, you know, while it's fun, you know, you're catching up and all that, but uh, time management in general, I, d- I don't think we should ever be waiting when it's controllable. Like when, when you, uh, you know, we, we've got games lined up. we got stuff to do, fun. They're all fun things. You know, unless we need to rest, you know, sometimes there's that, but... I would just say waiting and time management. The reason I think it should be not as bad as this on my list is because it's improved. Hmm. But anyway, that would be my number two. Okay. Well, my number two is waiting in line. So same thing. The exact same thing. And I think part of this is also related to the crowds, but it is kind of a separate thing because just waiting sucks. You know, can I ask a, sorry to interrupt. I want to ask a question. This goes to your point about waiting in line and my, my last one. This is specifically to Starbucks, although coffee shops in general. Now, when I go to McDonald's, they can fry my hamburger, give me fries, make a shake. They can do these things in like sub-second. I'm in and out. Why can't somebody pour a cup of coffee in the, the amount of time it takes to bake food? I, I can answer this. The, the, lines, the line at Starbucks is stuck, not moving. The, it's a stationary line. That just is unmoving for coffee. Yeah, I, I can explain this because people who are going to Starbucks aren't just getting a cup of coffee, like pour it into a cup. What, what's happening? That's they're, they're ordering science. like these custom customized drinks that are very specific to their taste. Yeah, it doesn't seem that complicated, though. Yeah, I, I agree. I definitely think it could be faster. Part of that might be not having enough staff. They, they, I never understood why Starbucks doesn't have two espresso machines so they could have two people yeah I, I don't see that staff moving very quickly yeah maybe they yeah i i agree they, they could be faster if i'm going to pay for a four dollar cup of coffee i want it in like now yeah and you know i, I don't want to wait for tw- how long were you in that line half hour half an hour yeah half an hour to pay for coffee yeah. that's just coffee you got right I got like a special drink. I'm one of those oh, you people. Did? Yeah, you're one of them. Oh yeah. So you're a problem. Everyone causer. in that line is one of them. Gosh. If I just wanted a cup of coffee, I would have got it from the hotel lobby. Yeah, but where in the hotel lobby? Where they they had they had coffee. Well, it was in your it was in the other lobby. Our hotel. Oh, so we, we'd have to walk to the other hotel. Right, but that would be faster than waiting in the line. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. Waiting in lines in, in Starbucks is one of the worst. Cultures. Then here's here's my suggestion for them. Have an express line, just like they do at Walmart or Target or whatever, coffee only yeah. line. You I, know, they even have the, the dispensers there. Sometimes you could do it yourself. Good you know, idea. they just keep them filled. They give you an empty cup, charge you $3 for the plastic cup, and then everybody's happy. Yeah. 
Or like the post office, like they give you, they give them like a special line if you're just dropping off a package. There you go. I like it. You should send them some feedback. So did you have any more to say about the waiting in line? Not really. I think I covered it with the crowds. I think the only other line that I would say is just ridiculously annoying is in the vendor hall, the line for Fantasy Flight Games, they, they block off their booth so you can't get in it. And then they make you wait in line. And the line is, is <laughs> like you'll see this guy standing somewhere like 200 yards away from the Fantasy Flight booth holding a sign that says end of line. And he's wearing a Fantasy Flight you know, shirt. And that's the end of the line. And then you have to like use these like air traffic controller guys from Fantasy Flight to find the other sections of the line and go from section to section until you get into the booth. And the whole thing takes like an hour. That's insane. Just to get in their booth to look at games that are marked at full price. <laughs> so I, I just do not understand that. But people wait in the line every every year. Yeah, I guess if people are going to wait in line, they're going to keep doing it. And, and actually, you know what? There's probably there might one of you might be listening right now, <laughs> you know, and we're sorry if we're offending you, but I would like to know honestly what the what the reason is. If you are one of the people that waits in the fantasy flight line, what is the reason that you wait in the line? I, I'm I just want to know. I'm not being I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I I truly want to know. The, it, it's a good point that we should get if there's opposing sides to any of these issues. You know, write us. You know, let us know. I'm curious. Right, and, and that's at outofgamepodcast at gmail.com. All, right. All one word. Okay, so we're on my number one bottom worst experience at Gen Con this year. And I know I have one listener for sure who's going to disagree with me, but by far the worst event or thing at Gen Con was the game Coup. What? I hated it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow, I did not know now, that. Okay, so I will say this. This is where I differ from my review of Caverna a little bit. I would be willing to play Coup again. Um, the reason is it, it doesn't the, – the frustration level of Caverna with the time wasn't there in Coup. Coup was a very fast-moving game. Um, I don't know. I, the, and th- this is a topic we have to cover at, at some point soon in the podcast is what makes a game fun? Yeah. Let, define fun of a game. First, you know, and, and equally, what makes a game not fun? You know, for example, some people like more randomness in a game. Some people like less randomness, more strategy, less strategy. Um, you know, some people won't play a game if there's dice in the game, for example. So everybody has uh, differing opinions, but I think there is some science behind defining what makes a game fun in general. For me, coup. It, it was peeking out at all the things I don't like about games, with the exception of the waiting. There wasn't a lot of waiting to it. Um, I could have played a game of war, and it would have been probably a similar experience to, to that game. I don't think there's a lot of skill in this game. I could be wrong. I know that there's lying and bluffing in it, but it's all so quick, bada-boom, bada-bing. When you call somebody's bluff, they could be telling the truth. They might not be, but... Based on the times that they are calling the bluff, there's not strategy behind that. It's mostly out of desperation that that happens, if you notice. Interesting. So I actually, something I realized probably the third or fourth game in of Coup, because we played it like five times, right? A lot, at least. Yeah. Is I think there's, 
there's a negotiation aspect to the game that we weren't doing in the first few games. So there was a game where I, I should have just been eliminated. I had one card left. In Q, you start with two guys. Yeah, we should explain the yeah, game. Yeah, if somebody calls, it, you pretend to use the abilities of these guys, so they're face down in front of you. If, if you have two cards, right. and they're character cards, and the characters all can do different things, and you don't have to necessarily show the card when you use the ability. You just say, I'm doing this ability, and then the other person, one of the other opponents, can call you on it and say, no, I don't believe you are. The, uh, the duke the duke right. and and if they call you on it you have to display the duke card or else suffer the consequences of right. of the fact that he called you on it right so there's there's that dynamic of, of the game right so you're trying to bluff and call other people's bluffs and the 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 idea is to eliminate everyone else uh, and be the last person left so i had a guy eliminated really quickly so i only had one left and there are multiple times where someone could have just eliminated me by doing a coup, which you, you collect these credits. If you get seven of these credits, you can just do a coup against someone, which just basically forces them to discard, discard one, of, one of their two guys, and they can't do anything about it. Someone could have done that to me. So I, I convinced them to do it to someone else. And that's when I started having fun in the game. It, it was kind of like in, in Werewolf, convincing people not to lynch me. I convinced the guy that it was better for him to go after someone else, and I made a deal with him. And I think if we would have been doing that more often, it would have been more fun. And I don't know if that's supposed to be how it's played, but that was the most fun game I had, where I thought I was just going to be like, I'm just going to get eliminated. And it turned out to be a really fun game that I almost won. Was there a strategic reason for that guy to not go after you? I, I, I kind of gave him one, yeah. So it was a legitimate. Yeah, it was. It was. It was enough that he just he decided to to do it. Was that wait? Was that me? Because I remember I, I negotiating with you about that, and you were no, down to was, one card. It was our it was our friend uh, Adam Rice. Yeah, which he'll be coming up later. We'll talk about him. <laughs> him and his buddy. It was it was his buddy. I convinced. Okay. I, I I think I convinced him to kill Dave or something. Okay. I don't actually remember the details. And okay. Because I do remember negotiating yeah. at one point too. I had won that one game. I think it was the last one. That was you ended up winning that game. I think. Yeah, it was the game when all the negotiating right. was happening. Yep. Yeah, but even when I won, I didn't feel. Mm-hmm. I feel like I got a little lucky to win. Yeah. You know, it's. I don't think. I don't know. It seemed like calling somebody's bluff, and there is a popular card game that this is based off of that goes on different names. Um, one of them I I can't say because it's a family uh. show. But another name is I Doubt It, yeah, you yeah. know, where you just, it's a standard playing deck. Right. So it's, it's loosely based off of that. And I think when you call somebody's bluff, there's got to be something in it for you. And when you're playing with five people, what's in it for you to call somebody's bluff when, there's, when you have four opponents? You want somebody else to do it. Yeah. So what you do is you get trapped into the wall, just lie then, because nobody's going to call me. And then all of a sudden, somebody calls you randomly out of the blue, and you're stuck. And it's the same true in reverse, where you'll say, you know what? I think they're lying. I'm just going to, just for the heck of it, I'm going to call them. And, oh, this particular coin flip, they happen to really be that guy. Yeah. I don't know how much skill there is in that. Now, the negotiating part, I'm with you on that. I just don't know. I don't know if, how big of a part of the game that is. But, I, you know, again, this, this ties back to what I find fun in games. And I, I think there's, it's, it was too random. And I'm not defining random as a dice roll. I'm defining it as pure chance of whether 
the bluff called, is it the right time or not? How much skill was there there when they called my bluff? And when I called somebody else's, how much skill was there? Did I really know they were lying? Did I have a reason for it? Was there a strategic reason? Yeah. Uh, it just seemed a little weak. And when the bluffs were called, 90% of the time it was out of desperation. Oh, I'm Contessa. <laughs> because Contessa can prevent an assassination. So if you just have to say it. Yeah. And I don't know. It's an okay game, but to me that was the worst block of time there. Interesting. So... There's a, there's a new game that came out of Gen Con that I think will take the idea of bluffing and make it a lot more fun than Q. It's called Sheriff of Nottingham, where someone is the sheriff, and then everyone has like a bag of goods that they're trying to, to get into the town. And they're trying to convince the sheriff that they're telling the truth about what's in their bag. But the sheriff can call them on, on it, whether they think they're telling the truth or not. And if they call them, the sheriff gets points if they are right. But they lose points if they're wrong. And the idea is to get points. I think it's points. I've not played it. But it, it sounds like really fun. And yeah. it's more of negotiation because you might be like, well, Sheriff, uh, you know, I'll get, you can give them stuff. I'll like, give you these goods if you, if you look in their bag and not mine. So you can do you know, things like that. So I think it takes it to the next level maybe. Now in the game like that, see, this is another aspect of gameplay. I like the dynamic of the cutthroat dynamic, where if somebody is ahead in the game, you know, the settlers like Catan thing with the robber, you can kind of go after the leader. Yeah. I like that just in general in games, but I don't like the kingmaker yeah. role where it, another person decides the winner. You know, yeah. that, that bothers me. And definitely there was that in Coup. I don't know if there's that in this game or not. I don't know either. We're willing to try it, though. So you're number one? My number one, and I'm sad, sad to say this, is was our game of Battlestar Galactica. Wow. This game, every time I've played it, it goes it gets it's lower. It's getting worse and worse on my list. Where to the point that it's just not interesting. Is that the problem? I had absolutely no fun playing the game. Wow. I mean, I could have I would have almost rather I would have had just as much fun watching the game. What what would happen in that game again? Was there anything interesting? Not really. So I don't even remember. Maybe that's the problem. And yeah. Chris and I were the good guys. We were the humans. We were the humans. And that's right. there were no Cylons in the first half of the game. And then the second half, uh, Tim, Tim and, and Dave, Dave both became Cylons. Yeah. But I don't know. I just, I'm just tired of this game. Yeah. I, I, I know you've been burning out on it for a while. It's, it was my number one game. Yeah. And it's, I don't even think, I, I made my top 50 a couple months ago, and it was like in the 20s. I actually don't think it would be in my top 50 So anymore. it really fell. It's just really drop, dropping. Interesting. And Do you think that'll happen with your number one game? I don't know. There's a chance. <laughs> I think I think games can burn out. Yeah. I think there's definitely a, a risk with that. Games are a little bit like music. You could like a song, but you get sick of it, and then it just falls off. But then some songs have lasting power, and you'll listen to them a year, two years, three years later, and, and still like it. Yeah. It's the same with some of these games. So I have a light at the end of the tunnel, though, and that is I heard on you have a, a billion more games. In a podcast today, the, Di the recent Dice Tower podcast, I heard Tom Vassell say that Dead of Winter, which is a new game that just came out at Gen Con, completely replaced Battlestar Galactica for him. Dead of Winter is like a, it's a zombie-themed game, but you're like... You're like living out the roles of these characters. I don't want to go into a ton of detail just for time. But it's like it was a really hot game at Gen Con. And it's a game where people have a story to tell at the end of the game. 
and has like moral uh, dilemmas that you have to deal with. And there's a traitor aspect. And it gives you that same, it sounds like it gives you that same suspense feeling that Battlestar used to give me. Yeah. So, so it's I'm kind of excited maybe an about that. injection in the arm that kind of reinvigorate you to play again. Yeah. Zombie themed. Yeah. And that's, that kind of bothered me at first because yeah. I don't really like zombie games. But it's more of the... Zombies, put, they're, they're replacing werewolves. In fact, I heard that zombies are buying out werewolves now. Wow, that's, that's big yeah. news. And vampires, too. They're buying all of them. Wow. See, won't you miss the vampires? They had such really. a niche in the, in the horror genre. I got sick of them, though. But I do agree, vampires are more interesting than werewolves and zombies to me because... Uh, they're, they're, they could be sophisticated. They could be political. You know, you could have a vampire, you know, in a smoking jacket at the top tower, floor in a tower, yeah. you know, um, scheming his uh, takeover of the world. With werewolves and zombies, you know, what do they do except for moan, growl, and just cause trouble? I don't know, but the, the vampire thing kind of went downhill with the whole uh, Twilight series. Yeah, but maybe they'll make a comeback. We'll see. I, I, I'm not on board with well, the whole Well, now they're getting thing. bought out. You're not coming back. It's true. They're going to be. They're going to disappear. And the, there's another game coming out. Back to my point from Stronghold Games. I think it's called Dark Moon, which is. It was actually a game that someone created called uh, Battlestar Galactica Light. It was like a print and play game, and then they got the rights to have the game made, but they're not making it with the license because Stronghold Games doesn't have that license. So they reskinned it to a game that's going to be coming out next year called Dark Moon. So I don't know what the rules are of the game but i'm just excited that there's another game kind of in that should be in that same vein that's shorter and may give you the same feeling so i'm just kind of hoping these games come out and replace this one for me yeah but that was my number one battle my game of Battlestar galactica sad so, to say so we have to cover our top five yeah, and sorry we've been such a downer. That was uh, feels like we didn't have a good time at Gen Con. Yeah, I know, but that was a downer on purpose. We're saving the best for last. Yeah. So, Chris, what was your number five? My number five experience at Gen Con 2014, I would have to list something we touched on earlier, and that is the, the strange but cool dynamic of not being in the gaming hall as much. Hmm. The fact that we were in the lobby, we were in these comfortable chairs in the hotel. We had, you know, lots of nice people we met just random people would come by and chat with us uh maybe give us tips on the game uh we had some somebody teach us one of the games uh you have this (laughs) you had the starbucks nearby (laughs) but you know it was there if you needed it you had the our hotel room wasn't far away there were bathrooms nearby water wasn't too far um, so there's uh, your amenities are there there's a lot of open room it was very comfortable the sound didn't bounce around and it wasn't overwhelming. I'm ranking that at number five because it, I think it's something new that we did this year more often than in the past, and it was it was a pleasant experience. Yeah, I, I, I like that pick. I, I kind of agree, and it feels weird saying that one of our top things about Gen Con was not being inside Gen Con. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> which which and my number five is also a little weird because it is completely unrelated to Gen Con. So my, my buddy Chip, who I stayed with uh, the first two nights, and he lives in Indianapolis, great guy, he introduced me to another hobby called geocaching. Have you ever heard of this? No. So it, it's a great nerd hobby. It's like you, you, you go out and you, you use your phone 
or a GPS. Oh, device. I've heard of this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you find these these things that people hide. Like a treasure they're hunt. like containers, and there's like stuff in there, and you can take it. You're supposed to replace it, you know, with something equally good or, or better, or you can just sign your little your handle from geocaching.com on the sheet. But this is a great hobby. And then if you if you open the app for geocaching, there's like these things are everywhere, and you didn't know they existed. And I was like reading on the forums and for this because if you one thing you'll learn about me is when I get, when I'm into a hobby and I start liking it, I get really into it. No, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> so, you mean obsessive? Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> so you know, I was reading the forums, making sure I understood all the rules and about geocaching, and and I found out that people who are into geocaching call people who aren't into geocaching muggles, which I thought was hilarious because. <laughs> When I when Chip and I went out looking for for a geocache because he wanted to like show me what it was all about, and 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 we're like looking under these bleachers. We we, we they're like we're at the soccer field. There's these metal bleachers. We lifted them up. We're like looking underneath them. So the maintenance guy comes over from this field. He's like, "Did you guys lose something?" We're like, "Oh no, you know we're looking for geocaches." And he's like, "What's that?" And you have to like give him this five minute explanation about it. And then he's like, "Oh, that's cool." And he kind of helped us. And then. There's this guy like jogging up and down this hill. That's another story. But he like takes off his headphones when we're going back to the car. He's like, "Did you guys lose something?" And we're like, "Oh no, you know, we're just doing searching for a geocaching." And he looks at us and he goes, "Like rocks." <laughs> <laughs> and it, and we're just, you know, and I felt bad for Chip because I didn't really know anything about it. So he's the one stuck trying to explain it to this guy. And you can tell the guy just like zoned out after like five seconds. But it's just this great hobby I got introduced to that I'm kind of into now. Like, I want to go out, like right now, maybe when we leave tonight, I'll go look for some geocaches. I could do that. Sounds wicked fun. so nerdy. I love it. It's pretty nerdy. So that was my number five. Just the discovery of geocaching has absolutely nothing to do with Gen Con, but something I'll take away from it. Yeah, I remember that that's been out for a while, but it's more accurate now, like... Because just because the geo tracking right. technology is better, but that that's been I, I've heard about that a while ago. Never completely understood it, but that's a good explanation. <laughs> okay, so we're on my number four, right? Number four top event at Gen Con. I'm going to go with our Kalos game, which we already talked about. Uh, I had a lot of fun with that game. That game is not. It's an example contrary to your Battlestar Galactica example where. Kalos is not getting old. I mean, we play that quite a bit. It, it's the engine is in many games, uh, but this game it just it doesn't disappoint. It's holding up, and every game is different. We had a lot of fun with that game. There was a lot of interesting things going on. Uh, we had four players. I think the game works really well, and I would I would rank that at my number four. Yep, that was a that was a great time. The Kalos game. So my number my number four was actually so I didn't I didn't actually go into this last podcast when I was going through my gaming history but I used to volunteer for Steve Jackson Games as one of their Men in Black and because I loved one of the first games that I got into was Munchkin now I know I just heard cringing because for whatever reason Munchkin is poo pooed on by the board game community which is kind of ironic because it's one of the best-selling games out there i mean steve jackson games is i mean steve jackson is rich because of munchkin but anyways so i used to run the munchkin world cup so if you were ever in the munchkin world cup 
maybe starting two years ago and the three years before that, not doing good math right now. So from 2012, 11 or 10, I think that was around the time I was doing the Munching World Cup. So if you ever played in that, I, that was me organizing it. And through that experience, being a Men in Black, uh, one of the Men in Black, uh, I, I made some friends from the Men in Black and from people who came every year and played in this World Cup. So we scheduled a game ahead of time through Facebook to play Munchkin together. So I got to play in this Munchkin game. Uh, it was me, Chip, who I mentioned before, uh, my friend Ashley, who was a person who would just join all the Munchkin games in the World Cup a few years ago and eventually became an MIB. Drew, who now is the person who pretty much organizes everything that the MIB do at Gen Con. So he's like completely taken that over. And then uh, my friend Scott, who was a former world champion, actually won the tournament one year. So I got to play in this Munchkin game with these guys, and it was really fun. Like, just the fact that I was able to make all of these friends, all of these friends through Gen Con and meet with them, just get together, we actually schedule it ahead of time using Facebook and get together and play a game of Munchkin, which was the thing that kind of connected all of us. And I have never actually played in a game with any of those people. I've always been the one running the game. So it was fun to actually sit down and play. And I won. I was going to ask. I beat the uh, former world champion ah, in Munchkin. Go. Yeah, I pulled a fast one on them. They were like all talking, and I went up three levels in the same turn, and then I and I won. So, so why do people not like the game? Now, I'm not. I played a couple times, but yeah. it's been a long time. Uh, what's the beef with the with the game? I'm not sure. I think it's too much fun. Well, people like fun, though. You, you would think. No, honestly, I think the feedback. I don't know. It's not really a strategy game. It's like a beer and pretzels game, and it's it's. It could be a little long. Like, I'll usually refuse to play it with six people. I like to play it with four people. I think this game we had five people. Uh, it could it could go a little long for what it is. I see. And it has this gang up on the leader issue where the person who's winning usually doesn't... Who's winning the whole game won't win the game, typically. Everyone will blow all their cards on this guy, and then whoever was, like, in second will win. So people complain gotcha. about that. There's different things, but it's it's just you just have to take it for what it is, which is just a fun game to to just jack with people and and have fun. So that game of Munchkin uh, was my my number four at Gen Con. All right, that's good, a good story. So I'm going to my number three, my number three best event at Gen Con 2014. I've got uh, Alien Frontiers, okay. which I mentioned earlier was a game that we played last year, and I was kind of so so. Wasn't great, wasn't bad, just so so. Uh, we played it again this year. I loved this game. I think it was your number two. One. Number one. Yeah. It's your number one game. Um, I can see why. It's a great game. If I had to do my list again, you know, we're always learning new games. So our those top ten lists, we'll have to do that again after they shift around a little. Uh, this Alien Frontiers is something else, though. It's the worker placement uh, strategy with dice. You roll these dice. Uh, based on what numbers comes up, you can do different things and place your dice and do some fun stuff. I just really like the game. I think one of the best things about this game that's not talked about, well, maybe it is talked about, but isn't the mechanic of the game. It's how fast it goes. The game, you don't have to wait long for your turn, and that gets big points with me. You, there's not overanalyzing. There's not, um, you know, you got to overthink and do this and that. You roll the dice, and you can quickly figure out what you want to do. You, know, yeah. you buy cards. You can do this or that. So I love the game Alien Frontiers, and that was my number three 
Gen Con 2014 experience. It makes you very happy to hear that because when I brought that up as my number one, you told me, and I quote, this is the only pick in your list that I think is wrong. You said it's actually wrong. <laughs> is that on the podcast? That is on the oh, podcast. Great. All right. Well, you know, when I'm wrong, I'll admit it. I, I retract that statement. Alien Frontier deserves to be your number two. One. It deserves <laughs> to be your number one. See, I, I listen. And I was mistaken in my analysis. Well, now you're right. We're, we're on the same page now. Alien Frontiers is great. And actually, this kind of goes against what I said earlier, but I think that would be another great asynchronous game. Because there's not, like, when I'm doing my turn, there's nothing happening to you guys. Yeah, but the turns themselves are not long. And I right. think the long turns are better for the asynchronous games. Yeah. But. Okay. My number three was actually uh, when we would go out to dinner, we would have some really interesting conversations. And I, and I don't think we, I think it's an underrated part of just going to Gen Con with your buddies. Like, you get a chance like how often do you just get together with your your buddies and go out to dinner? Like that never happens, almost. You, you listed dinner going out dinner with me beat the Munchkin game where you beat the champion. Yeah, I like that. I'm you know, honored. It, you know, these things are, are all relative, but but yeah, I just I had a really good. We had some really good conversations at dinner. We did, and and I just enjoyed that part of it. It was nice to get away from the convention. Uh, and de-stress, de if you will, a yeah. little bit. So. Yeah, in fact, if, if we did six instead of five, that would have made my list too. I, I did have that listed as one of the possibilities. Just the, you know, you're playing the games all day and you, you just kind of decompress. You go out, get something to eat, and just kind of catch up with your buddies and talk about the, the you know, do a little metagaming and then what you're going to do that night, which is usually werewolf. <laughs> and that was a lot of fun. Yeah. It's underrated. That's a good segue to my number two, which is Werewolf. Nice. So, you know, we've talked about Werewolf before. Werewolf is a, is a game we always play at Gen Con. We got hooked on this a few years ago, and we use it as our nightcap. You know, it's the last thing we do. Maybe 10, 11 o'clock, we go down there, and they've got several of these circles going. And, you know, the continual, uh, the continual ongoing games where you can get killed in a game and you just get picked up in another game and uh we played we were out till three probably playing this game okay. i loved playing this year now one quick thing i want to mention about werewolf just in the past so a lot of the people listening from our group know this already we had an issue a few years ago where i was getting killed in the middle of the night by the werewolves in several games in a row and i was getting so tired of this game <laughs> i almost quit and, it, and I said, you know, maybe I'll just sign up and be like a moderator because I wanted to be around it. But it was just not fun because I was getting um, mauled by the werewolves. And I think part of the reason is our group, some of the guys in our group had come up with a good way to flush out the werewolves, you know, early on by having everybody go around in the circle and just say the phrase, I'm not the werewolf, <laughs> just to do a little lie detection. Sometimes you can get something there. And for whatever reason, we were hitting and a lot of these, uh, we were killing the, we were, we were, we were ferreting them out early and we had made some huge victories. And then some of the people from those games would come to our next games because right. the games would be interspersed. You'd see familiar faces and they'd say, hey, those are the guys that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, um, so what happened this year, I, I had kind of a new strategy this year. I don't know if you're aware of this or not. Is I didn't it really the talk not be annoying strategy? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I implemented that once again. Now, they, the strategy was if I knew who the werewolf was, I didn't say anything about it. And I would almost befriend them. Hmm. So I don't know if you noticed, but as we were going, I, I would often say I completely trust you to the people opposite me or the people next to me or wherever they were. And my goal with that was to not necessarily lynch the werewolves. Even though that is the goal, I wanted to be around in the game. I made that my goal. And because I had a good idea who the werewolves were, I could, I could get a consensus when I needed to. That worked this year. This year, the reason I have this listed, I was never lynched. Neither of us ever really get lynched. But, uh, and I was only mauled once. And that was in the game you were mauled. But it was enough after it that I was able to hang around. Okay. Uh, that that um, fact that I was able to continue to play the games for so long made it a lot more fun for me. And that strategy, I don't necessarily recommend the strategy. I think the strategy is it's better to go find out who the werewolves are and try to lynch them. That's the goal of the game. But this strategy of not lynching the werewolves and befriending them... <laughs> Worked for me. I had a lot of fun. It's my number two event this year. Wow. So interesting. We're, we're going to do an episode on werewolf strategies, and we'll talk about this more. I think you're close. I think you're close to the best strategy. I don't think your strategy before of, of just calling them out immediately was a very good strategy. So I think you're improving. Well, it can. in fairness to the old way, it can be because that is what you're told to do. You're supposed to ferret them out, get get a consensus and lynch them. The problem I had was either it worked or it didn't work. Even if it worked, the other one's going to kill me. Right. And so I'm done. Right. And then you're left to the village, please figure out who the other one is before I have to leave and go to another game versus, um, you know, you're, uh, they, they, you don't get the werewolf on the first time and they realize you're on to them and they get you. So there's two left and you're left in the dead area. So, you know, what will help you with this is being the seer. When you're the seer, you know information, and you have to subtly. I know, but sometimes I feel like I'm the seer anyway. Right. So I think you need to learn. You're the for you to stay in the game for a long time. It's like you you know who the werewolves are, and Chris is really good at figuring out who the werewolves are. So you know who they are, but instead of coming out and saying it, you wait for an opportunity when maybe someone else is calling out that guy, and then you just kind of join join the bandwagon a little bit and pull the strings from behind. So you're never in the in the spotlight. Right, but even with what I was doing last time, I didn't even do that. When if they were like, no, I I trust them. Oh, so you know, you I was actually argue with I was protecting that... the werewolves at times because just to stay in the game. Just to stay in the game. Wow. And then more often than not, you can get rid of them when the time comes. So did you win those games? You know, it was late. <laughs> The games all kind of ran together. I don't remember any games that we didn't win. Wow. I mean, I'm not saying that. I don't. I don't think the werewolves won, and I didn't get to be a werewolf again. Okay. You know, I was a werewolf the very first game ever, years ago, and well, then I haven't been a werewolf since then. Yeah, and maybe we'll reveal why. Oh yeah. We'll do that in our werewolf episode. <laughs> We're going to reveal. It wasn't why. necessarily a coincidence, I don't think, <laughs> but I did win that game. Interesting. So. My number two is also werewolf. Excellent. And I actually separated this from my number one, which which will make more sense when I give you my number one. But werewolf, and I actually put werewolf slash witch hunt, because we played a new game called Witch Hunt this year, which they're not 
it's not completely finished yet. They were kind of play testing it, but it took some of the good things about Werewolf, but then it also gives you something to do when you're killed. So you wouldn't like, you wouldn't even have that problem. Of course you want to stay in, but even when you're out, you still get to do things and you're involved and everyone stays involved throughout the whole game, even after you're dead. So, uh, and I had one particular werewolf game, which is, it's kind of ironic because it was the game I joined when I got uh, mauled the first night. So I joined this random game and I was a seer that game and uh, we, we won the game. I made it to the very end. The werewolves never figured out I was a seer and and I was like, you know, I was giving information to the people next to me that I knew were safe and they knew everything I knew and we went to the very end and they, they never figured out and we won the game. So it was, a, it was a great, really fun, it was my best experience in a werewolf game at, at, this year. So yeah, just even the fact that I got separated, which kind of stunk, getting separated from the rest of you guys, playing in the werewolf game and then getting, we did play in the witch hunt game together, mm-hmm. I think later that night eventually we rejoined. And that was it. Was a really fun game that I'm looking forward to trying some more. Yeah, definitely. So that was my number two, uh, Werewolf. And that's a great segue to my number one game, which is Witch Hunt. Okay. Witch Hunt was my number one experience at Gen Con this year, and the reason is it's a, and you know this game, it's new. It's, it was being uh, I don't know if it's beta tested or whatever they're called, play testing. Um, they're going to release this game soon when they have all the artwork done and everything else finalized. <clears throat> we'll be giving out more information on that because we made contact with the creators and we're going to uh, help them get the word out. This game is its a fantastic game. It's not perfect. It's got some kinks to be worked out, but it's really good. Yeah. It's based on werewolf. It's very similar to werewolf. You have witches instead of werewolves. Uh, but in the village, everybody has a role. So there's, there's many different roles. And it gets a little confusing when you explain all of them because right. a lot of them bounce off of each other. And uh, the the effects become kind of I don't know um, disjointed when they're combined with each other. Mm. Uh, when you die, you're not out of the game. You become a ghost. If you're a good player, if you're a non-witch, you become uh, an angel. And if you're a witch, uh, when you die, you become a, a demon. So there's these angels and demon characters who are not allowed to converse with the alive people, but they're talking with each other kind right. of in the in the dead area um in fact i exploited that in one of the games i can't remember if you were there for that were you watching what they were doing to see who they i were? was watching i was seeing how they were congregating to yeah. tell who the bad and the good were but that game was so confusing because of the um shenanigans the shenanigan there's a bit an ability the demons have called shenanigans where they can throw off the truth of what the facts that are known are by the alive people. So if you have uh, the seer equivalent as a priest and the priest gets to know, you know, it's the same thing in werewolf. They, they can signal to a character. The moderator signals whether they're uh, a witch or not. Right. And the shenanigans confuse that. So they can target a person and the opposite fact happens. Right. And so there, what, what it basically means is you get a lot of false information. There was so much misinformation going on. I was in this argument with this guy. He, um, <laughs> he, he and I were going at it at one point, and we were both good, and we both thought the other was bad. We were 100% convinced the other was bad because I knew one of the witches, and the witch kept defending this guy, and this guy was throwing me under the bus with such venom. <laughs> 
he was so passionately against me that I was convinced that he was a witch. And he wasn't. Yeah. And neither was I. And he was probably just as surprised as I was about that. And the whole reason for this was the shenanigan effect. Yeah. So I don't know if you explain it clearly. So basically when the priest points at someone, if the demons happen to pick that person for shenanigans, the, the priest would get the opposite uh, of what that person was. So if they were good, they would get the bad signal that that person was bad. Right. And so it totally threw off the game. And I think the fact that you guys didn't know probably didn't know the the roles of the demons very well right it didn't occur to you that was happening right and that was the one flaw with the game you have so you have a shot clock with every night it's not like a werewolf where the nights can go on forever as long as you deliberate but the shot clock is a good thing too it keeps the game moving but the problem is you're so rushed and there's so many rules and roles that we had a hard time figuring out what all the possible right thing what 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 are the possibilities right now and it was me and uh, one other good guy and then one of the witches mm-hmm. that were left. It came down to three of us. And I, I, I don't know. I was pretty sure that I could have figured out who it was. I didn't know. Honestly, I didn't know between the two of them who it was. But I think I could have figured it out. But the other good guy that was left was the assassin. He used his assassin ability and tried to assassinate the witch. Mm. And he failed. And so we lost. <laughs> And it, this great game came down to that. And honestly, the witches deserved to win that game because of the shenanigans they were doing. Right. But we still could have won that game. Yeah. We still could have won it if he didn't do that. Yeah. And the classic moment was I was the, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but I had two lives. And they um, they tried to kill me. And I ended up not dying because I, I had the survivalist. The survivalist. That's yeah. who I was. Yeah. It was a great thing. And then the angels were protecting me. When the the uh, witches were trying to kill me during the night because they were trying to help me figure things out, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that game. Like I said, we'll be talking more about witch hunt in a future podcast because um, uh, breaking down this game uh, will be a lot of fun, and I think it's interesting. And I hope these guys do well when they release it. Yeah, I think it has a, a lot of potential uh, to replace Werewolf for people who don't. There are certain things about Werewolf that people don't like, and I think they're trying with this game to. Uh, to resolve all those issues into a new game. Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, lucky for us, the designer of this game is in the Chicago area. So we might, we're going to, we're hopefully going to reach out to this guy and maybe be in some playtest sessions and, yep. and help with it. So we're kind of excited for the potential of that happening. And yeah, I hope they, they do well too. So my number one, it may be a little anticlimactic, was just, I, I kind of lumped together gaming with our group of friends so i actually loved what we did this year of just bringing our own games and just playing games whenever we wanted instead of trying to schedule events and being stressed about getting to them and all this stuff just sitting down with my with you guys and just playing the games that we wanted to play was the highlight of gen con for me and ironically even though caverna was in my bottom five for learning the rules that was actually the favorite game i had Really? Yeah, and I think it's it was a five-hour game. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, because I saw, I guess I just saw a ton of potential with that game. You know, Kalis was was fun. Alien Frontiers. Dave kind of targeted me and totally yeah. posed me that game, so it kind of knocked it down a little. I don't know. There's something about, but just just gaming with with the friends. I think that's the point of going to Gen Con. I don't. For me, it's not for the spectacle. It's not for the new releases. It's you know, it's not for all the hype. 
it's none of that. It's really just a weekend away with my friends to sit down and, and play games. And that's what I had the most fun doing by far. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons that might be your number one too, is it, it's, it wasn't expected. Like we didn't expect that to be as that part of the trip to be as fun as it was. Yeah. I know for me, I was surprised, you know, we didn't, we didn't do any booster drafts. We didn't do any scheduled events at all right. the whole time. We didn't even buy generic tickets. Yeah. We didn't buy any tickets. Right. So. Well, we bought werewolf tickets, technically. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, we, we paid for it. But the, the point is that we, we weren't expecting to just do these pickup games on, on our own time in our own uh, hotel and just right. without the schedule. I love that, too. I, I agree that that's a good choice. Yeah. And honestly, if you ask me, uh, you know, we essentially paid for... <laughs> For Gen Con tickets to sit at a hotel and play board games. Right. If you if you could look at it that way. Except it, for Werewolf. Right. And to me, Werewolf and and uh, Witch Hunt, those two games were, you know, those were Gen Con games in the Gen Con Hall. Right. That we had to pay for. And those were my top two. So I still, I, I get that it's ironic that we, the most fun we had was at the hotel. We didn't even need Gen Con to do that. We could do that at any time during the year. Right. Uh, but there, there, there was some benefit of being there. Yeah, well, and I, and I guess what I, my point was really that if you say it like that, it makes it sound like sounds stupid that we would do that. But yep. it, I would pay to do that, even if we didn't have Werewolf. I would still pay for the hotel and the ticket, and I would drive to Indianapolis yeah. to sit in the hotel atrium and play board games. Yeah, because there's just something about being at Gen Con that just elevates it much yeah. higher than just getting together and playing games. Yep. So, yeah. It's true. Good point. So those are our top five lists. Yeah, and you know we're not going to do top tens every every podcast. I guess I wanted to clarify that because I just realized that we did that twice in a row. It just happened to be what we're doing this time. Uh, but hopefully, you know, you guys kind of get the the feel for what we experienced at Gen Con. And if you've never been to Gen Con, I highly suggest if you're into gaming in any way whatsoever to go to Gen Con. It's like the mecca of gaming every yes. year. Yeah, there's so many games there. I mean, uh, everybody is willing to to teach. I mean, I shouldn't say everybody. We had a lot of people. You know, if you're stuck on something, you know, you could just random people will come by and help out. Yeah, it's all about gaming. Yeah, and and it doesn't. And you don't just have to be a board gamer either. If you're into, and, and I mentioned this in the article I wrote. If you're into, if you're into role playing, and that's your thing, you could do that the entire time. You could do magic the entire time. You could do miniatures games the entire time. You could LARP. You could cosplay. You know, you could pretty much do anything related to gaming. It's a nerd paradise. Yeah, thing. it is. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they should have that as like the sub, you know, the subtitle. Yeah, that's it, a good time. And we we forgot to mention the. Uh, the, the rice method. Well, you, you had that listed down here. Oh, other, other highlights. highlights. Well. So we could just go right into that. So it was Adam Rice. Yeah. So we're going to give him a, a shout. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of a, a simple <laughs> thing that he did, but he he came up with a, a technique that he shared with us that we used just to determine who who the starting player would be. You know, oftentimes it's do you, do you flip a coin, do you roll dice, you know, uh, how do you – what's a quick way to – get right. the starting player what if you don't have dice there then you know uh, how do you do that so yeah he came by and told us about his method yeah and he actually was also the guy who stopped and taught us to play coup 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, you know, and this is one of the guys we're talking about where they would just, he just stopped by and helped us learn a game. Uh, so they had another name for this, but we're changing the name because the, yeah. the name that we were given, I don't it's, even want to say It's it. the Rice Method. Yeah, it's the Rice Method. That, that's the official name. So Adam Rice, and should we explain it now? Yeah, sure. So uh, you start out, everybody is you, one, two, three, and then you, you put out either one, two, or three fingers. Right. And then you add everybody's finger count, right. and you you total that, so you get like a twelve or something. And then you start with whoever owns the game, start with them, and go clockwise and just count the number of fingers. And uh, that's the starting player for that game. Yeah. Very simple. You don't need any dice. Very quick. Very random. Um, it's the rice method. Yeah, yeah. We really like the rice method because some games don't even have dice in them. And yeah. then what do you do? You got to like take the player pieces and try to shake them and drop one. And then people tell you you cheated. Yeah. So this is a great, it's a great method. Yeah. And maybe a lot of, for a lot of people, they already do this. They already know. Well, <laughs> duh. That's what, of course, that's what you do. And it's just one of those things we never thought of it. Right. You know, and we really we appreciate it, even though it was a little thing. It's kind of like the gamer version of Eeny Meeny. <laughs> yes, it is. It, but it there's is. like there's like a gaming element where you could try to you could try to math it out. You and could put you know what numbers he yeah because you own most of the games, so you start with you. Yeah, Ryan owns. What are you up to? A million? Two million now? Somewhere. Yeah. So then you start with Ryan. You count out six. So I know I need to put out one finger because yeah. you guys are going to do two and two yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So it's like a little game in itself. So that's a rice method. Thanks, Adam Rice. I hope you're listening. You're the one person that we gave a business card to. So I hope that <laughs> you subscribe to the podcast. We just yep. happened to have them on us at that moment and think of giving one to you and your friend. So we might have two there. That's right. But we, you know, we hope you guys are listening and we appreciate you teaching us coup and the rice method. All right. So that's, uh, that's our highlights from Gen Con 2014. And now let's move into our review of a little game that we both love called Alien Frontiers. Alien Frontiers, yeah, the Alien Frontiers was a game we played uh, last year. It was Ryan at it ranked number one. Yep. I was critical of that pick and uh, uh, ate my words a few minutes ago when I had it ranked in my top lists for Shenkun 2014. It's a lot of fun playing this game. Like I said, you roll the dice. You move this game right along. You place your dice. There's pattern pattern matching you can do if you have one pair, two pair, three of a kind, mm -hmm. these dice. You could buy cards. The cards obviously give advantages throughout the game. You're trying to colonize this planet or moon or, or whatever. Planet Maxwell. There you go. And <laughs> uh, it's a race to colonization. There's a cutthroat element, which I like too, where if somebody's getting a little too far ahead, you can easily see that because you're tracking victory points dynamically. Right. right and you can go after them a little bit. I think that happened during the game. Yeah. But as usual, I think Tim ended up winning that game. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. Tim did some, like, 20 combination move and won the game. Yeah. At the end. yeah. So just to explain a little bit in detail, I'm not going to go into a full, a full rules explanation, but essentially you, you have dice. Each person has their own color dice, and their dice represent ships. And then around the board, there's these different stations that you can dock your ships in. So you roll your dice, and each station has a very nice graphical representation. I think the graphic design in this game is really good. 
that it, that tells you this combination of dice will let you use this particular station. So one of the combinations might be, you know, out of your dice you need to put two dice that are equal here, or you might need to put like a small straight, like a, uh, you know, two, three, four, four, five, six. So there's different patterns of dice that you lay down in these different stations. One of them is just you just put a six on there, and then uh, because you put a six on there, you get to put a colony on the planet, which is the whole point of the game. You're trying to get your colonies out on this planet in the center. It's an area control game. And for every colony you get out, there's one point. And then for every, every, uh, every area of the planet that you control, you get a bonus point. And those are really, besides that and a couple of cards that you get that give you a point, those are the only ways to get points. So it's very straightforward. You're, you're, putting, you're rolling your dice, you're putting them on these stations, you're using stations to get fuel, another station to get ore, there's only two resources, different combinations of those, and the dice you get let you use stations and get colonies out on the planet, and you're just trying to be the guy who has the most points at the end of the game. The game ends when somebody, in a four-player game, which we played, when somebody has put their sixth colony out, their last colony out on the board, then that triggers the end game. And I can't remember, I believe everyone gets to finish their turns. Or no, the game ends immediately. The game ends immediately once that, once that is placed, and then you just tally up the points, and you see who won. Yeah, the, the, the best thing about the game, it's, it's, the goal is very simple, but achieving the goal isn't simple. Right. So uh, the, the focus, it's very, it's very focused on just one thing. And... It, because of that, it keeps the game moving along. You know, you take your turn, you take your table, four or five people, you're going along, and there's not a lot of thinking that you have to do um, when it's your turn. There is strategy involved because there's different ways to get your colonizations happening, mm-hmm. but it doesn't, there's not a lot of like strange, awkward pausing where you have to rearrange. You know, there's only so many things you can do when you roll the dice. Right. So I, I, I really like the game a lot. I think. You know, you had it ranked number one. Would you say it's still number one? Yeah, it's still number one. And and it's because, uh, I think I, I went into this last time, just that was my that was one of my reasons. The I called it the decision space. When you roll your dice, you know, there you do have options and what to do, but there's not so many options that it takes you forever to, to figure out. And then you just pick the option that goes with the strat, the overall strategy that you kind of planned out from the beginning. You know, Alien Frontiers is the opposite of Caverna it is in many little, ways. Yeah, which is odd because they're like my one and three game. Yeah, that's interesting. It is interesting. I think that the speed is different. The complexity is different. There's no dice, obviously. Yeah. Caverna is way more situational. I, I will admit that. it's You really need people who are into heavy games and are willing to, to sit through a longer game. But could be more rewarding of a game though then your number one game can't be more rewarding than that no i'm saying a long sometimes a longer more strategic game is more rewarding if you win for example because it's it took way more mental thought and uh, mental capacity to to win the game but alien frontiers you probably i don't think you even saw but tim's last turn was actually really it was like an amazing turn and there's no way we could have figured out what he was going to do I had no clue he was gonna gonna get his his colony out, but he knew it because he was. It was figureoutable if we looked at his resources. Yeah, though. but he did a lot of weird. He had this card that let him 
take three fuel. I can't yeah. remember what he was doing, but he was doing it the whole game with this card that I never would have even picked. Yeah. And he was somehow using this card to like its maximum advantage. And he did all this trading with the cards and he did all this stuff and like comboed out exactly what he needed to get his last combo. The, the game was a little bit of an anomaly though, even though Tim mostly wins anyway. The game was an anomaly because Dave attacked you relentlessly throughout the whole game. Yeah. And it, it threw off your game. And then I was focused on Dave because he went after me once. Right. And so I was going after him. But then I went after Tim because Tim was the leader. Yeah. And everybody was not we're, not, we're not working together against the leader effectively. Right. And, and uh, We have a revenge problem in our group. I don't, I don't know if we do. I don't think you have a revenge problem. Well, you do, though. I'm the only one with the revenge but problem. But it, th- it could throw up and the whole Dave game, is, though. And Dave has a chaos problem. Like, he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't depend on having a good strategy. He just creates chaos and yeah. does whatever he's in the mood to do. And he, he, for whatever reason, he felt like going after you that game. Yeah. And because he, you guys were doing that and his strategy wasn't very good and he was bringing you down, he was killing you, I, I really couldn't effectively stop Tim. I tried to at one point. But I didn't see what he was doing either. I mean, it was a, it was a very effective move. But I was more interested in going after Dave than right. Tim anyway. Yeah, and, and and Dave, just speaking of Dave, real quick. So we played this. Well, we don't. He doesn't play anymore. We played this game Warlight online. It's like a war game. Mm-hmm. Dave is the only person of my group of friends that has ever betrayed a treaty that we made. Where when he, when did he do that? You don't remember this? And then he 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 said he was doing it to prove a point to you for something that happened in another game that you had. So Dave was that recent? No, this was a long time ago. But he still holds that as the the only person never betrayed. Oh my me. gosh, I believe he it. Broke I totally my trust. It. Where we had an agreement not to attack each other. It's like those games you played in, of Risk and in, in yeah, high school. You have an alliance. You make an alliance, but we actually stick to those in our group. Well, you have to. Here's yeah. why you have to stick to those. If you ever, ever play a game twice with the same people, right. if you break your alliance and you know you're breaking it, why would they ever make an alliance with you? Right. That's why it makes no sense to make a deal. Like, make a deal and then, like, one of the guys did that in the coup game. Right. You can't do that. Right. Because <laughs> then the next time you play, why would I ever make a deal with them? Right. Yeah, and, and he did, and Dave did this to me. Even though yeah. we, we all had this agreement that we would never yeah. do that. And we even formed a guild on there. That was all about not betraying. We each did. Other. We did form a guild. Dave about still this. betrayed me. So, anyways, Dave. For whatever reason, I think Dave just likes to jack with me when we're playing <laughs> board games. Yeah. And uh, so, so what are what are some things about Alien Frontier? Is there any negatives you you have about this game? I tend to shy away from games with dice a little bit. I, I it's not a steadfast rule. It's not a black and white thing. Dice scare me, only because I don't like I like minimizing the randomness of games but the dice in this game don't do that you don't need it's not like you need snake eyes on a specific turn whatever you roll kind of does dictate where you can place stuff but you can still get your work done without getting the rolls that you need right so in that sense I don't have a problem with the dice I think there's much more randomness in a game like coup which has no dice Mm -hmm. versus a game like this which is 100% dice I mean literally your dice are your workers so you're rolling them and placing them that's what you have so uh, that I don't know if that's uh, qualifies as a negative that they're dice I think it's more interesting than a negative I wouldn't say that that that's a that's a negative of the game 
Uh, it's it, it really doesn't have a lot of negatives. Yeah. It's it's a strategic game. There's a little bit of chance. It's fun. It's interactive. It's cutthroat, and the turns are fast. Those are all pluses for me. Yeah, one great, and, and I don't have any negatives either. Either it's kind of a trick question, I guess, because I wanted you to realize that there aren't any negative things <laughs> about this game. Yeah. But one thing that I really like about the game, uh, when it comes to the dice, is there's a station. That if you just don't get any combinations you need, you can just put any random dice there and you can move up one of your colonies and progress it towards getting it out on the board. And there's another station where you can just put any dice and get fuel, which is one of the main resources. Right. So worst case, worst, absolute worst case, you're still getting fuel and you're still progressing your spaceships right. down the progression. Yeah. So there's no, there's no wasted role. It's not like... When you're playing Yahtzee and you're trying to get a certain combination, right. you don't get it, and then it's like you wasted your whole turn. That never happens in this game. Right. Yeah, it's a good point, and I get the trick question. <laughs> um, you're making a really good case for this game. And I think one of the best ways to evaluate a game, and I think everybody does this on some level, when the game is over, I mean, of course you want to win, but you get to the point where even if you lose the game and it's still fun, you can tell why Why did I lose, why did I win, those kinds of things. Did I deserve to win? Did I, do I feel like the guy that won deserved to win? Like these questions go in your mind, and when your answer yes to everything at the end, it really makes the game more fun. You don't feel like there was like something cheesy that occurred that caused you to lose or like that you got really lucky and that's how you won or, you know, um, everybody went after you and, and there's like this sense of unfairness. When you can answer that you had fun and you understand why the person won and there's like uh, just you just like feel good about the way it turned out, whether you win, win or lose, that's a sign of a good game. And I think this definitely uh, passes that test. Yeah. So... So there's a Jerry Seinfeld uh, CD where he does a stand-up routine. It's a great CD, by the way. It's called, I can't remember what the heck the name of the CD is called. But just is this the one we saw? Uh, he did some of the bits from the okay. CD in there. But one of the things he, he, he talks about in there and jokes about is he, he, asked, he posed this question. And the question was about people who run businesses inside an airport. And the question was, do these people have any idea what prices are for things, everything else in the world? <laughs> All right. Now, so there's this company, GameSalute. I need to ask them this question. GameSalute, do you have any idea what the prices of board games are everywhere else in the world? Because the MSRP for this game is $75. Now, wow. I admit, because I like this game so much, I, I would pay that price for it if I lost it or something. But the difference between GameSalute and other companies is... They're like militant about not allowing their games to be sold on discount websites. And so, so if you want to get the game, you pretty much have to play, pay MSRP or hope that GameSalute discounts it and sells it themselves. So like my favorite website to buy board games, Cool Stuff Inc., they always discount games at least like 30%. They don't even carry GameSalute games. At least I've not seen any that I've searched for. They, I don't even think they're... They're probably not allowed to because of Game Salute's um, policies. Hmm. And to, to carry Game Salute games, you have to like register with them. That and I don't know what kind of agreement you're signing with them that you won't discount your games uh, below a certain amount. And so, it, it, you know, they they claim that's good for the industry because you know 
it's keeping I, I don't know what their what their argument is, but I, I I completely disagree with it, and it's annoying because they they do make good games, and so I'm like forced to pay the price for those games. So I guess it's working for them because they have good games, but it is annoying that this game's MSRP is seventy five dollars. Yeah. Yeah, I guess if they make the game, they can do that, and then people could just choose not to buy it, and then they would have to lower it. Right. Yeah, and I, and I guess they're. I actually got this this game through their Kickstarter, and I don't know if I really paid any less for it. Uh, now, if you go on Amazon right now, you can actually find a copy sold by Game Salute on Amazon for sixty dollars, which is still pretty high compared to most board games. But it's a little confusing because it doesn't, it's not clear on there which edition of the game it is. And that's actually really important for this game. The fourth edition that just came out has, in, in most people's opinions, better components. The colonies are like these cool, sculpted, uh, they look like, it's like a little bubble over a colony uh, that looks like a sculpted skyline. And the previous version of the game, they're just like these little wood token, mm-hmm. round tokens. So they improved the, the components. Uh, they put uh, they put these spacers in the game. Like when you play a two-player game, you cover up some spaces, and they give you little cardboard things to cover them up. Uh, so they, they added these nice perks in the fourth edition that are different from the third edition. But when you go on Amazon, it's not clear which edition is for sale. So you have to look in the reviews, in the comments, where people are asking what edition is it. And... As of the the latest comment I saw on Amazon was from June 30th, where someone claimed they did get the fourth edition of the game. But I would say it's kind of a crapshoot because Amazon may not have them in separate piles because they look real, you know, the boxes are identical for the most part. Yeah. So it might just be which game they grab off the Amazon warehouse shelf. So it's a little unclear, but you can at least get it for $60 from Amazon. So my question, Chris, is would you pay $60 for, for this game? Alien Frontier? Yeah. Uh, it depends on if I can play it with people at home or you know friends outside of our gaming group where you already have the game. Yeah. So why would I buy it if you have it unless I could play it like with my kids? Uh, I probably couldn't play it with them. I mean, I, I, do they have time? They're busy making logos for people right. and stuff. <laughs> so if, if I honestly thought that I would be able to have time to play it with them and they would play the game, yes, I would do it. Uh, you know, the other thing is, what about eBay? I mean, people could buy the game, get sick of it, like you got sick of BSG, yeah. and then sell it on eBay, and you could get it for $15. So my experience with buying board games on eBay is the opposite, actually. They're, it's usually more expensive to buy on eBay. Why would they be more expensive? I'm not sure. It might be a supply and demand thing. Or people just aren't... They When people buy a board game, they don't want to lose all that money selling it. Because there's other Yeah, ways... but if you... Why would you pay more on eBay rather than buying the game brand new from the retailer? Yeah, I don't think most people would, which is why I don't think selling board games on eBay is really a great enterprise. So I... Hmm. I because I've, and I've actually looked into selling games on eBay, and I decided not to. Because there's other ways to get rid of games. The best way is to trade them. So I think if someone played a game, like if it, the normal person on Board Game Geek didn't like a game that they purchased, more than likely one of the top ways they're going to try to get rid of the game is by trading it. There's also Board Game Geek has its own marketplace where you can sell the games, and they take out less money than eBay does percentage wise. You can also sell games on Amazon. 
which I've done. But by the time you pay the shipping and everything, it's yeah. really not worth it. Yeah, the shipping kills you, especially with games like that. But, you know, I didn't check eBay, so maybe there is one out on eBay. Um, I don't know. It's hard to tell. Well, it's always nice if you're getting a game to have it be new, too, because it, yeah. it's like gunk on the pieces and stuff in the used game. Well, that's our review of Alien Frontiers, which I think wraps up episode two. So, Chris, where can our listeners email us? Our listeners can email us at outofgamepodcast at gmail.com. That's outofgamepodcast, all one word, no underscores or anything, mm-hmm. at gmail.com. And we also have a Twitter feed uh, that's OOG Podcast. You could remember it by Oog. I think we mentioned that last time. OOG, Oog. Uh, Facebook. Find us by looking for Out of Game Podcast. OOG Podcast. Yeah, and then our Board Game Geek Guild we mentioned is Guild 1990. You can find it in the Guild section, which is admittedly not easy to find on Board Game Geek. Um, so good luck with that. But there is a link on our website, which we have never mentioned. We do have a website. We do. It's outofgamepodcast.com. There's some links out there to all of these things that we just mentioned, actually. And so you can link right to our guild from there. And one thing that we would love, love, love for anyone who's listening right now is if you go out to iTunes and find our podcast and rate us, because apparently that does something positive for us to, to gain us more listeners. Yes. I don't think we get us. any money or anything, but it would be nice just to have, you know. Street cred. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we get. Yeah, that's, what we're, that's the reason we're doing this podcast is for street cred. <laughs> And also, there's a, there's a there's the Stitcher app, which I haven't mentioned before, but uh, it's a it's a nice kind of a streaming way to listen to our podcast. You can find us on there as well. Yes. All right. Anything else to say, Chris? Any nope. last words? Thanks to all the listeners for all the feedback from our first podcast. We really appreciate it. We read all of it, so keep it coming. All right. And I have nothing else to say either. So thanks for listening, and good night. Good night. Do the people that work in these little shops in the airport have any idea what the prices are every place else in the world? What do they think, they got their own little country out there? Tuna sandwich, $13, that's what we... Tuna's very rare here.